If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. What is the crack there? How you doing? It's podcast time. It's a uh, strange week, Johnny Boy. How have you been? I'm okay. I'm uh, I'm still on the hunt for a new office. But you're in my office, aren't you? I am in your office. I, I Just so that everyone knows, I have been kicked out of my man shed. Yeah. Which is, it's yeah. peak lockdown. It's being peak kicked, lockdown. Being kicked out of your own man shed is I, peak lockdown. I'm going against the grain. Everyone else is working from home. I'm now trying to get out of my John, home. You have always been. Against the grain. <laughs> and against the grain is the only way to go. In fact, there's a great book called Against the Grain. It's a great pub called Against the Grain, too. <laughs> is there? There's a great book called Against the Grain. I'll tell you, I didn't tell, tell you. And it's about the role of grain in human development and the role of oh. grain in emasculating the hunter-gatherers and the role of grain in urbanizing societies, creating grain surpluses and creating the societies we know. Therefore, creating trade. Trade, all that stuff. It's really, really fascinating. It's against the grain. Well worth it. Anyway, I'm going to talk about something fascinating, which is the feminization of the economy in the next couple of minutes. But I'm worried about the North, actually, John. I'm worried about what's happening up in Belfast and all over the North. crazy. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually- It's a full week now. It's over a week now. Yeah, it's over a week and it it doesn't look as if it's going to get any better. Well, no, I think it will get better. I think it might actually be something that the- the PS and I have just figured out, let this just build ahead of steam and let it all blow over. But Ooh, I'm, I'm, that's what I think the PS and I are obviously doing. Yeah, but then could it turn into a Hong Kong? It just goes on and on and on. Well, that's well, it has been going on and on. <laughs> Northern yeah. Ireland is a Hong Kong. Yeah. But I, I just, I worry about the way in which, I mean, I've always said, and it's the, the, the DUP or the party that never misses an opportunity <laughs> to miss an opportunity. Yeah. But I'm worried about where unionism is ending up. Because it seems to me to be going backwards very quickly. It seems to me their leaders are terrified by the extremes and not being seen to be unionist enough. Yeah. And 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 I worry that where that's going to take them. And and uh, there's a sort of a nihilism in loyalist unionist areas in Northern Ireland, which I've seen myself because I've you know I've driven yeah, around yeah, there yeah. a lot. Yeah. But, but uh, is I, it the last gasp of a of a dying kind of? Well, God, I see, hate to say that. Well, but. it's well, it's. I mean, 
this should be their year. This is the centenary yeah. of the establishment yeah. of yeah. Northern Ireland, right? This is, as we said before, this should be the biggest, if you're an orange man, most joyous orange parade ever. And they're firing petrol bombs at cops. Yeah. Do you think they're like, so the very people for whom the state was set up to protect, support, and therefore join us against the other crowd yeah. are the very people who 100 years later are on the streets. And this, you know, I've always thought that anger and rage are the counterpoint of impotence. People who are powerful don't get angry. Mm. Only people who are impotent get angry. You know, yeah, sure. You, yeah, it's, yeah, the way children, it's the way children get angry. You know, your children fly off the handle because mm. they have no power. They have no way of negotiating or influencing their world because they're totally dependent on their parents. And, you know, when, so when I see a whole substrat of society getting angry, I think that's because they're so powerless, because they've lost power. Well, not only that, though, Mac, they have been neglected. So they're like neglected children. Yeah. And I don't mean that in any sort of patronizing way. For instance, when Blair was in power, Blair went there pretty much once a month. Yeah. So did Major. They understood that they need attention. Boris Johnson has been there once on a day trip. Yeah. Once. And he lied to them at that. Yeah. So, but, and, and then if you look, the, the other interesting thing... Is, I was looking is at, this our be nice to unionists moment, John? Well, maybe is, it is. is. But you, you made the point before, and I actually thought it was a really good point. You made the point about if we're on this road to a united Ireland or to certainly a, a border pole, that we need to be in the south. We need... Or as, the, as a real unionist would say, down in Mexico. <laughs> Absolutely. Mexico. They say the thing, hey, you're one of them Mexicans. Because <laughs> we're south of the border. That's what they call us. That's really good. I That's, never heard that. When you're, when you're really deep amongst the unionists and you're drinking with them, yeah. they refer to people from here as Mexicans. <laughs> Excellent. But uh, that we need to be more magnanimous. Yeah, we need to be the We need to do, it's, it's the whole thing is the Mandela model. You've got to, Mandela goes, gets out of prison, goes straight to the Afrikaners and says, you have a place here. Yeah. Doesn't go to his own people because he knows they're spoken for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and what I would love is there's, there's a tribe in the North that I would call Garden Centre Unionists, right? <laughs> what you notice about the North is there's a preponderance of garden centres, right? Right. They love there? a garden. Prod loves a garden. Loves a garden, right? And Garden Centre Unionists are the people who need to actually step forward and say, this is not representative of us. They need to get out of the hydrangeas. Yeah. They need to get out of... Right, it's true. They need to prune the roses. They need to get out of. They need to get out of the garden centres and actually begin to speak and say, "We have a vision or an idea for the future of Northern Ireland, and this is it." And if they don't, if they don't, they're the people who are going to lose. But do, do and just to finish on this, what I found very interesting this week is how the whole situation has been reported or not as the case may be. Particularly in the UK press, the MSM. Yes. Uh, are we not MSM? <laughs> Maybe we are. I, I want to be mainstream media. <laughs> We're centrist dads. We've got to be right down the middle. But the, the whole Northern Ireland story has not featured in the top five stories for most of the week. Yeah, because and, they don't and, care. Because they don't care. They don't care. As far as most English people are concerned, Northern Ireland is not part of the same country. And the only yeah. problem is that there are so few members of the Conservative and Unionist Party. The only problem 
at a certain stage during the Brexit negotiations was that all five people in British politics who worried about Northern Ireland and were concerned about it happened to be in the cabinet at the time. And mm. that's why the DUP had some sway. Look, it's going to end up being our problem, unfortunately, because of the way the dynamics are going. And it's incumbent on us to try and give them an exit strategy in order for them to go back to the South African example, to find their own de Klerk. They need a de Klerk, an individual who comes out and says, yeah. okay, guys, that's over. This is the way we're going. Let's deal with it. And let's set out our stall in a negotiation. And unfortunately, this week, that doesn't look very close, John. So, Mark, this week, we're talking about the feminization of economics, well, which is fascinating, actually. So what... You wrote an article on this. One of the big uh, trends in glo- in the globe now yeah. has been the increasing power of women in economics. And on many, many estimates by 2030, this is not very long, like this is only a couple of years ago, right? There will be more female millionaires in the world than men. And by 2030, 55% of the world's wealth will be held by women. Now that figure was 15% in 2000. Wow. So we're seeing huge, huge, I mean, enormous trends. And these are, for certain men and for certain people, these are uncomfortable trends. Yeah. Because, do you know Candace Bushnell? She's the one who wrote Sex in the City, which oh, was yeah. amazing. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she said something about, she said, it's a quote, she said, women with money and women in power are two uncomfortable ideas in our society. And I think she's right. Yeah, but you I see think it a lot. People have got to get used to it because this is actually what's happening, you know. And if you if you think about why is it now, why in 2030, why in the last thing, it's, it's the culmination of decades of the gender struggle, you know, contraception, divorce, abortion, mm. equal pay, equal education, all of these things that all around the West have been fought fought for and agitated by women. In the main, for mm. a long, long time. But well, what's now, the main dri- driving force now then? Well, what is, what is happening is that once you put those in, things into place, right, in the 70s and 80s, mm. in most countries, particularly female education, what you do is you change the background noise. So far more girls go to university. We, there's something we've seen since the 80s was, in the 80s, we started to see the girls doing much better than boys in school. In the 90s, we see girls doing much better than boys and young girls and young women and young men in university. We then start to see young women do much better in the professions than yeah. young men. Yeah. So what we're seeing is that in service-orientated economies like ours, where the premium is not on muscular strength, but on smarts and networks and marketing and all that sort of stuff and education, the bias towards men has been denigrated and the bias towards women has been elevated. So women are doing better. So this is great. For, for, for us with daughters, this is an amazing yeah. story. This yeah. is a great story. And you see, if you think like Simone de Beauvoir, you remember Sartre's mate, the French philosopher, in 1953 wrote a very significant book, book called The Second Sex. And it was basically saying women, it was the history of feminism. And, and, yeah. and, and, and it was saying that women are the second sex in second place. Now, I think what's happening in economics now, particularly in the United States and Western Europe, is that that will no longer be the case. That what we're seeing is that women will begin to become the most powerful economic force in societies. Yeah. And that will change the whole world. You know, I'm looking at like economics. I've always described, somebody 
asked me to describe an, an economist. And I said, economics is the reflection of what I would call extreme maleness. I was always intrigued. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were always so many men and economics was so masculine. It was yeah. so gray. And it always seemed to me to be the preserve of kind of dull blokes, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with very, very inflexible views of the world and a, and a view of humanity that only a male could have, right? Or only a certain, what I call extreme male yeah, could yeah. have, right? And now you look at all, many of the top jobs are women. This is, I'll give you a list, John, right? Yeah, go on. So Janet Yellen at the US Secretary, okay? Sec- yeah. Treasury Secretary. Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, Kristalina mm-hmm. Gorgieva, who's the chair of the IMF, Gita Gopanath, who's the chief economist of the IMF, Carmen Reinhardt, who's the chief economist of the World Bank, Catherine Tai, who's the leader of the US state trade representative. These are all jobs that up until recently, John, were always male. And what we're seeing now is the culmination of forces that have been in society for a long time. And I'll give you another example. It's women in entrepreneurial positions. It's completely changing. So in the past, the entrepreneur was largely a male creature. Now what you're seeing is an outfit called the Kaufman Institute in the States. And it looks and says that women are catching up with men on new startups, the boss of new startups. You know, 70% of women now work outside the home. 40% of American mothers earn more than their husbands. And in the States and in Ireland, women by far and away have more postgraduate and graduate degrees than men. So the whole world yeah. has changed. I think it's really exciting. I think it's, it's fascinating. Well, what's it going is. When, when I, when I, just in my own house, I look at my, my girls growing up and their ambitions and their vision for the future. It's, it's and, exciting. Yeah, it's and, exciting. And their vision for themselves is exciting. You know, I remember when we were kids, I remember in our street when we were kids, almost all girls did a sectarial course. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like yeah. they were, they were like, like, that was the thing that your, your sisters did. And, you know, all, you know, and it was like, it was very much a fixed role, right? And now what I see is this amazing transformation mm. in society where the feminization of the economy in wealth, in wealth creation, in jobs, in job opportunities, in significant leaders' positions. It's all changing and it's all the culmination of many, many battles that were fought years and years ago by women, particularly like I was reading uh, Gloria Steinem, who's an American feminist. Yeah. She wrote a great, uh, an amazing, amazing paper, which was, again, 1968, 69, I think. And it was called First Black Power, Then Women's Liberation. So it was tapping into this idea of a human rights movement. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and she's still around. She's in her 80s. Yeah. And she, she wrote something exceptional about what the world will look like when women have more economic power. And she said, and it's great, she said, it's a great quote. She said, we can tell our values by looking at our checkbook stubs. So mm. the idea is that people's values are revealed in what we spend money on both cosmetic values and profound values. And what you see is the economy that will be not dominated by, but will have equal billing for women will be completely different because women spend, all the survey data says that women spend their money on totally different things. Much more because I think for years of not having financial muscle, women are much more likely to be worried about security, to save to plan much more meticulously for the right. future, right? So what are you seeing? Like, if, if you look in Ireland now, by far and away in their 20s and 30s, women are much better educated. 
So this will eventually come into the main jobs, the main positions. We're talking very, very soon. And the feminine economy will feel different. It'll look different. It'll, it'll be a totally different creature. And it's happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. John, you, you've probably seen it. I mean, I'm talking about economics, right? But you've probably seen it in the music oh, industry. yeah. Actually, in the recording side of stuff, where I kind of come from, it was 90, 95% male-dominated. And the only engineer that stands out to me is a woman called Susan Rogers. Who's she now? She was Prince's engineer. She did a whole load of albums with Prince. She, she's a brilliant producer as well. Hugely talented. But I struggle to actually pick out many others. There's one or two I can think of, but it's mostly all men. And that's just in the industry that I come from, so I can talk about that. But um, I'm not sure, like, it seems to be changing. It's funny you mentioned that. Last year, I shot a documentary, at the beginning of a documentary in Morocco. Yeah. And you're right about sound men, right? Mm, They're a particular sort. But what was really interesting in Morocco was a sound woman, was an Arab woman. Oh, right. And that was something, it's quite interesting you said that. I did take it, I didn't take a double take, but I thought, oh, like something in my head said, that's unusual. I haven't seen that before. And so you are right in certain industries. But what I'm saying is that all over the West, what we're seeing is a rapid, rapid change and transformation in the gender balance of the economy. But unfortunately, John, we're not seeing this all over the world because in the poor, what we call the global South, the trends are quite different. And I tell you what we're going to do. Let's go to the Caribbean to talk to Marla Ducaran about this issue. Because again, Marla is female economist, mm. not normal at all, works for herself, has got unbelievably forthright views, but she would always say, because she and I used to do a sort of a like, double act, you know, I yeah. would speak and she'd always yeah. say, she'd always, she'd always say, like, I remember she'd say things to me like, it's easier for you. And I'd say, why? She'd say, and she'd say, because you're white, David, and you're a bloke. And it's easier to get up in public and do your thing. And I always never got that. But you just take that side for granted. Yeah, as, I, I don't as we it. all do. You know, like, as we all do. You know. But anyway, let's go down to the Caribbean and talk to Marla. Marla, how are you? I am very well. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me again. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about this issue. When every time we talk, right, we talk about economics and stuff, this, and you tend always to say, look, David, it's kind of all very well for you guys up there. But this is the reality on the ground down here. Talk to me about the economic prospects of women in your region, for women in your region, because things are getting much better for women, it looks like, for all the data in the North and the West. What about your neck of the woods? Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that because it is getting better for women in some parts of the world. But when you look at the, at, at the global picture, I mean, the World Economic Forum's um, Global Gender Gap Report said that um, the last time it was published, the 2020 edition, said that it would take about 100 years for there to be gender equality on a global scale in terms of the global average. They are now saying that that time frame has increased by a generation. It has increased by 36 years. So on a global average, it has gotten worse, David. And the fact that it has gotten better in some countries, as you you put it, in the global north, if you will, the developed countries and the Western world, the fact that it has gotten better in those countries, but that the average has, has deteriorated so significantly means that in other countries in the global south, where I'm from, it has deteriorated 
so significantly as to outstrip the, the, the gains that you all have made in the Western world and in the developed world. So what's going on? Tell me, ex- explain to me what is going on. Because we've got one set of trends and you've got something else. What's going on? So, you know, I don't know if you've, if you've seen where this pandemic and the recession that this pandemic has caused is actually being called not a recession, but a she-session, simply because it has really affected women disproportionately on a global scale. So women are the ones who are disproportionately represented in terms of the frontline workers. Women are the ones who are disproportionately represented in terms of those who have lost jobs. And we know that there have been severe job losses as a result of the sudden stop, which was the first ever in history last year and the the pandemic's other impacts. Women have been disproportionately affected as it relates to the other softer fallout of of this pandemic. So things like how much more time spent on unpaid care work in the home as a result of homeschooling, where kids are no longer in school, how much more time women are uh, are spending doing other forms of domestic work because they are now working from home or unemployed. Um, And so all of these impacts of the pandemic are affecting women much more so than they are men. And that's why this is being called a she session and not a recession. And tell me, what do you do about it? I mean, what, what, like, you know, you, you, somewhere like Barbados, huge, huge, all of the Caribbean, huge tourist yeah. industries. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all, they're all stopped. Probably a disproportionate amount of women working in tourism in various areas. Yes. So, I mean, what's the way out of this? Right. So you're right. Women are disproportionately represented in the tourism sector, but also in the services sector on the whole. Because even in even in financial services, which is another big industry in this region, um, below a certain, you know, beyond se- below senior management level, women are also overrepresented. Right. So in all of the service sectors, women are women dominate. So it means that, yes, we have been affected in terms of jobs and in terms of income. And what do you do? Well, the first thing I think is that as a region, we need to recognize that the tourism industry and the way that we have structured the tourism sector in in this region, it's actually not sustainable and it's not resilient. And I'll tell you why I say that. I think that it's no secret that there are limited domestic linkages between the tourism sector and other sectors in in the economy. So for example, David, I remember once the Jamaican tourism minister saying, we bring the tourists in the middle of the plane and we bring the food to feed them in the belly of the plane because we don't grow strawberries and we don't produce champagne in, in this region. And so what it means is that all we have is the sun, the sea, and the sand. And so what we do is we bring everything else to satisfy what the tourists need, including energy, including you know fuel, and everything from there. So in the first place, that sector is not one that supports other sectors very well in the in Sure. The no, yeah, I, I, see, I see exactly what you mean. Let's actually, we'll broaden it from just the Caribbean tourism because there are lots of people listening sure. like, okay, right, that's, you know, Caribbean. Let's go, back to the, let's go back to the idea of women in the global South, right? This idea that we're dealing with. So 
you look at this this article I wrote, okay, the one I sent you yesterday, right? It's got all beautiful, well written article. Congratulations, I love it. I actually shared it with my IWF International Women's Forum um, sister. Oh, cool, cool. Well, yeah, listen. So you see that that, that the idea that things are going quickly, quite well, and we see the education, we see the wealth, we see all these things going going the right direction. Not always in any way like there's loads and loads of problems, but going the right direction. Contrast that with what you're seeing down there. Contrast that with what's the reality in Latin America, the reality in the poorer part of the world. I mean, give me a sense of inequality or a sense of how far behind women are in in, in your neck of the woods. Well, in the first place, single female-headed households Mm -hmm. is the largest segment of households. It's the largest demographic, if you will, you know. So we outnumber, when I say we, because I am, yeah. you know, a single mom now. And if we, we dominate and therefore it tells you something about the level of support, financial and otherwise, that women are getting or not getting in the region as they try to raise their families. But, you know, one of the saddest parts of this story is that for a while, and you've highlighted it in your article, women are better educated than men in this region. And we have better health outcomes and we outlive men. However, even though we're better educated, we are much less represented in the workforce. So typically the labor force participation rate in this region is anywhere on average between, let's just say 70 and 80% in most countries on average, right? For men, it's in the upper bound. So you would find for men, the labor force participation rate is somewhere around 70 something, 80, whereas for women, it's in the 60s and you know, highest being around 70. So about 10% of a differential in terms of how much we participate in the labor force versus men, even though we're more educated. And that tells you in the first place that women are a huge untapped resource in this region. I think we are the largest untapped resource in this region from that perspective. And the thing is, what do you do about it? You have to think about the policy solutions and the government has to be the one to intervene from a policy perspective. Otherwise, it won't correct itself. The market is not going to fix this because it hasn't for so long. And I know something else is going to really anger you is the moves, because we talked about this using tax advantage, small countries using their tax rates to attract in capital in order to actually generate the capital base so that women can work in sophisticated economies or increasingly sophisticated economies. Now, Joe Biden is saying the Americans are going to have this flat tax of 20% on all corporations. What does that mean for the Caribbean? Well, David, you know, that's another, a whole other joke, because this whole if you think about the WTO, right, and the restrictions that they put on, on tariffs, what do the big countries do to get around that? They subsidize their manufacturers and their agriculture sector so that in effect, what they're doing is supporting their domestic industry to the exclusion or to the detriment of, of somebody else's sector that is in competition. So all that's going to happen if you impose this minimum corporate tax rate is that each country is going to give concessions so that the effective tax rate is, which is, you guys do this in Ireland very well, you know? (laughs) So That's our our trick. That's our game. (laughs) Exactly. You all have this tax rate that was imposed because you joined the EU. 
But because of all kinds of concessions and so on, the effective tax rate is much lower than the headline tax rate. And that's all that's going to happen. But the big countries can afford to give the concessions, whereas the little countries can't. And we, for example, in Barbados, we were told by the EU, oh, you cannot have a different tax rate for offshore companies versus domestic companies. So my prime minister, who's absolutely brilliant, and she's stellar, and she's one of the best prime ministers in the whole world, she said, okay, really, if you don't want me to have a different tax rate for the offshore versus onshore, here's what I'll do. I will lower everybody to the offshore rate. So now we have one tax, corporate tax rate that's maximum of, I think, five and a half percent for everybody, right? And so then you get delisted or not unlisted or whatever the verb is. And then now you have this. So it's also very unfair that, the goalpost keeps moving. Every time you tell us you're doing this wrong, you little black country over there, you need to do it this way because we say so. And we say, okay, we'll do it this way. And then you come a year later and say, do it this way. <laughs> you know, we decided something else. It, it's, it's crazy. But I think that what's going to happen is that the big countries will, will do whatever they need to do to remain competitive and to protect their own to the detriment of those who can't afford to do so. And then things like the position of women, long-term emigration, capital flight, all the things that the poor countries experience, certainly from Latin America, continue. Of course. And that's what I think the big countries don't understand. If you do things to destabilize our countries, all that's going to happen is that we'll get on anything that floats and try to get over to your country, right? (laughs) And flood you with economic migrants and refugees which is happening in this region from Venezuela and, you know, from Central America into, into North America. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 everything is a donut, right, David? It's all circular and it's going to come back. So they have to think carefully about how they craft these policies. And just give me a sense before you go. I mean, when you're in the Caribbean, when you're chatting to your mates, when you're, you're, you're obviously before COVID, you were flying around quite a bit. And we're still going to do, we're still going to do economics in Jamaica. It's going to happen, as you know. Okay, good. (laughs) But I mean, in terms of... (laughs) Jamanomics. Jamanomics. It's going to be cool. It's going to work. It's going to be fantastic. But tell me, you know, when you're talking to your mates, I mean, is there still a sense of this pull, this immigrant pull from the United States? I think there was a bit of a lesson, you know, easing of that sentiment under President Trump. I'm not surprised. Right. I feel that now, especially with all of the printing, David, oh, my God, Um, (laughs) you know, I think that that there might be a resurgence of that type of sentiment. But I also think that, you know, Caribbean people that, you know, of my generation, I feel like we're not as pro-North and not as, you know, Eurocentric or what's he would anglophile as as maybe my parents generation were and we don't necessarily see the american things and canadian things and british things as better and superior and that life as better than ours as a matter of fact we've seen so many digital nomads basically migrate to this part of the world in the last year as a result of the pandemic because they want to escape you know, the lockdowns and the restrictions and the cold weather being locked up in an apartment and come to this part of the world because it's just, it's lovely to be here. 
So I think that there is more of a sentiment of let's see if we can get this right. At least that's what I see when I talk to my mates. It could be that we're in a bubble and and you know we're in an echo chamber. But I I don't I don't feel like there is that much of a let's just have an exodus mentality that there was say in the 1980s and in the latter part of the last century. I feel we're more committed to this one Caribbean. Listen, Barbara, that was great. And uh, listen, I, we will see you here pretty soon. I hope. Thank you so much for having me, David. You guys stay safe, stay inside, behave, take care. See you now. Bye. See ya. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's a really interesting point that Marla made there about, essentially about women being an untapped source of talent. Yeah, well, I mean... You really noticed this. I tell, you, I tell you, years ago, I did a speech. I've, I've only been in Saudi Arabia once in my life. Right. right. And I actually Never got, been there. I got the hell out of there. I, went, I flew in about 7 p.m. one night, went to the hotel, slept, gave a speech, and flew back out. I had a really bad feeling about it, right? Yeah. And I remember I rang home. I said, I'm, I'm not going to you know, Normally, I'd stay for a day or two to see what the city was like. And I just thought, no, I'm out of here. But this is my sense. So what happens is when you're given public speeches, like you get into the zone in your head, right? Yeah. Say, okay, what are we going to land that joke or la, la, la? And how are you going to come on the stage? Because oh, you've got to think, right? So it's in a big, big hotel ballroom, like mm. the Burlow, a massive, like about a thousand <laughs> people in it. Yeah. And I'm t- taking my notes and, and, and I walk on stage and there's a podium and I kind of put my eye on the podium and I walk on stage and it's the first thing of the morning. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And I look down, I put my, I just plunk my notes down. I kind of look at my notes, turn my head up. As I put my head up, I'm speaking. And I say, 
Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And there's no ladies. Right. It's Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And I thought, this is so weird. Not one woman in the place. And then I thought to myself, as well as being angry about it, thinking, but I thought you were so stupid. I mean, how can a society ban half the people from actively participating yeah. in the society? Yeah. You know? And I thought, and that's what Marla's point is. You know, if you do not use all the resources, and I don't mean economics is about using resources, but if you don't give dignity to everybody and give everyone a chance, you will fail spectacularly because economics is about people's brains. It's not about what you have with like oil reserves or this or that. It's about what goes on. There's a lovely expression, which I think is economics is created when you see little mutinies going off in people's heads because that's the creative juice. And if you decide that half the people are barred from being creative, then your economy will collapse and your society will collapse too. You know, there's another thing about women, which is to do with women's attitude to risk-taking. Mm -hmm. Women surveys, again, suggest that women are much less likely to take big risks than men. So, for example, that's always led me to the question, imagine Lehman Brothers was called Lehman Sisters. Would it, right. would it have gone bust? Right. And I don't think it would, because I remember working years ago in those trading floors. Mm. And I can tell you, all the big beasts and all the bets were taken, they were all driven not by economics or finance, but by testosterone. Big, witty-waving yeah. Egypts, yeah. you know? Yeah. And remember we talked about that, that Dunning-Kruger, right? They had yeah. the, only the truly incompetent don't understand their incompetence. Yeah. And I used to see that in trading floors all the time, that guys would double down and rather than fess up and say, I got it wrong, they'd double down and try to brazen it out and say, who are you? And that's exactly what happened in Lehman. Rather than say, guys, we've got a problem. All these macho male risk takers yeah. who define themselves by risk taking, but risk taking is also the only the polar or only the opposite of recklessness and stupidity. Yeah. You only take risks if you can assess risk. Actually, I'm reading that great book on risk at the moment that you saw. Oh, the crazy book. What was it? It's a, Against uh, the Gods or something. It is. It's a <laughs> book by Peter Bernstein. It's about gambling. It's about why we gamble. You know? Right. And what I love is the fact that, you know, humans have always loved to gamble, right? But when the Greeks were trying to explain the Big Bang, you know, the, the Greeks said, like, how did the world come? Right. That they actually explained it through a game of gambling that basically the three gods, Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon, mm -hmm. took bets, right? They, they, they took bets. They rolled a dice for yeah. the world. Yeah. Zeus got the world because he won, yeah. right? Poseidon got the sea because he didn't win. He came second. Yeah. And Hades lost, was condemned to hell. Right? The underworld. The underworld. So, yeah, so yeah, gambling. Yeah, yeah. But risk is not the same as gambling. Right? Because risk, you're meant to assess things. You're meant to be able to manage it. You're meant to say, work on probabilities. Mm. But when you put testosterone in on top of that, you get this explosive cocktail. And that's why I believe that, you know, Lehman sisters would not have gone bust like Lehman brothers. So what we see is that as women become more and more and more significant, the insurance industry will do better because women spend more insurance. Right. Education will do better because women spend more on education. So what we'll see is a whole different what type about of politics. Economy. Well, I mean, see, as you were talking there, I was thinking of female leaders of the world over the last few decades. So you had the likes of Thatcher, Benazir Bhutto, 
Aung San Suu Kyi and all these characters turned out to be not particularly nice. But it struck me that when you think about it, are they trying to overcompensate in a male testosterone-driven yeah, I, world? I think so. And then, I mean, again, well, you go back to Elizabeth I. You go back, <laughs> yeah. if we're going to do history, you go back to Cleopatra. You go yeah. back to, no, but I mean, I think that those leaders were probably came in an age where they felt they had to behave in a certain way. Yeah. What I'm seeing, I think we're seeing now, like Angela Merkel is a totally different type of female leader. Yeah. And has shown a way of leadership, which is quite, yeah, quite has, different, yeah. quite, quite different. But I think that what we're essentially talking about, John, is not economics. What we're essentially talking about is fairness and decency and reciprocity and a society becoming equal. And that's, you know, at the core, you know, sometimes you think, you know, Martin Luther King's was an amazing person for quotes, but I think one of his greatest quotes, and it's, it's a quote about patience and it's a quote about the way in which the world works. And I, I sometimes, it really, it really inspires me when I think about the world. And he said this thing, he said, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but ultimately and eventually it bends towards justice. And I think this is just another sign of that. I hope so. Now, why I have you there again. Why not use the time when you're locked up to learn economics? Join me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Let's learn economics together. We have the economics course. Macroeconomics has never been as essential to understand. We have the Ask Mac tutorials every other week. We have Q&A. We've got the reading list. And more importantly, you become part of the community. If you have a question, if you have something that's going on, you want to ask me, join me on Patreon. Email in. I will answer your question. But more importantly, it's ad-free. Just you and me and your man across the way. Hey. Patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And let's figure out the world together. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.